Stride K-12 is inviting students in grades K through 12 nationwide to enter the 2023 K-12 National Photography Competition. Students who enter will have the chance to win prize packages worth up to $1,200. To learn more about the competition, go to enrichment.k12.com. That's enrichment.k12.com. When you put a seed in a child's hand, whether it's a big kid or a little kid, and I have veterans farms, I have disconnected youth farms, we have the first commercial greenhouse in America run by foster care youth. When you put a seed in a child's hand, you're making them a promise. And that seed, just like them, is going to grow into something great with a little love, a little care, and a little commitment. According to Feeding America, more than 9 million children in our country faced hunger in 2021. That's one in eight children. Children facing hunger are more likely to repeat a grade in elementary school, have social and behavioral problems, and experience diminished language and motor skills. What impact does nutrition have on learning? How can we encourage nutrition among our students and in our schools? And how can we improve access to healthy food for students and for families? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by Stephen Ritz to find out. Stephen Ritz is an award-winning educator, author, and is the founder of Green Bronx Machine, a nonprofit that uses environmental education to strengthen communities. Stephen created the first edible classroom, and his curriculum is being used in hundreds of schools across the world. He joins us today to discuss the link between nutrition and learning. Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, Stephen Ritz, welcome so much to what I want to know. Boy, I have been looking forward to this show. Uh, I admire your work, and thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, and good morning from the South Bronx. Good morning. So I want to, I want to tell you, I've become almost a Stephen Ritz groupie. I've been watching your videos, uh, reading up on your work, uh, read a little bit of your book, The Power of the Plant, and two things stand out. One is passion, and that passion you have for kids, all kids. And secondly, the belief in all kids. I think, as I've said on other programs, it's in short supply when it comes to too many people in education that some really don't believe all kids can do it. And I tell you what, there's no doubt you do. I've got to go back and ask you, were you always drawn to education? How did you get into this space where did it all begin? So where did it all begin? It's all the New York Knicks' fault because they still haven't drafted me. So let me be clear, Kevin. In the event James Dolan is watching, I'm available. But that said, nobody, and I mean nobody, rises to low expectations. And that's what this game is all about. I would rather fail here than succeed here. And I'm an absolute accidental success. But I have a fundamental belief, one, that people should not have to leave their neighborhood to live, learn, and earn in a better one, and that showing up is very powerful, and that ev behind every successful person, there is a teacher, a mentor, a coach, someone who believed in them and said, you can do it. And 
you know, it's my goal to carry as many people and teachers and colleagues and communities on my shoulders as I can. You also, though, embody fun. I mean, just the way you're presenting now, you know, sometimes, you know, in the teaching profession, folks are focused on the pedagogy. They're focused on, you know, the classroom structure, the, the manual, what they learn in ed school. You understand that stuff, but you also say, look, we've got to have fun. When, I'm focused when that... on all of that as well. You know, don't let yeah. the cheese hat and the bow tie fool you. At the end of the day, this is all about data-driven instruction, being recursive, and how do we constantly move ourselves, our children, and our pedagogy to the proximal zone of development. But, you know, to be able to do what you love in yes. communities and for people who need it the most— and to be rewarded, that should be our common intention. That should be what gets us up and excites us in the morning. So you can best believe I'm having fun. Uh, you know, and this is not hard work. Coming to this country, um, trying to get through razor ribbon fence, that's hard work. Being bussed around the country because of politics, that's hard work. But showing up and putting your best foot forward in service of kids and communities for a better, brighter future, that's passion, baby. Let's do it. And let's do it the best we can. You know, I was reading your book, The Power of the Plant. I was so struck by how you have now integrated in your instructional approach this idea of nutrition and learning and the value of it. And I want to talk about that. But first, let's go over this story where you talked about a flower that sort of stopped a brawl and how you use that as a teaching tool. I think that's such a cool story. Well, you know, we were talking before about our common dear friend, Majora Carter, and I'm going to bring it full circle. Um, you know, I've had some tragedy in my life, and I hope, as you've probably read in the book, and, yes. and I hope that many people don't have to go what I've gone through. But, you know, pain can bring you to a place where amazing things can happen. So after the turn of the millennium, I wound up after losing a child, I wound up just taking a job in the closest school to my physical home, simply to save commute time, to circle the wagons around my family. I didn't look at the school. I didn't look at the data. I didn't look at the job description. I needed a job. I had to take care of my family. I love teaching. I wanted to do it as close to home as possible. And I wound up in the worst high school in all of New York City. Some context, 17% graduation rate, 256 felonies in a building, 48 school safety agents and 18 armed police officers in a building. Let's call that what it is. That's not school. That's prison. That's a breeding ground for everything that is wrong. And remarkably, I was charged with teaching 17 young people out of jail science with no science background, mind you. I had a great rapport with kids. My thing was literacy. My thing was math. My thing was entrepreneurship. It was about community engagement. But high school science? Ooh, who knew what the hell that was? You know, I, I had no idea. And I'll never, ever forget sending a frantic email out to my colleagues on my trusty, dusty AOL account. Help me. I've got 17 kids. What? I got to teach them science what to do. And the silence was deafening. Mm. Deafening. Send me a microscope. Send me a, send me a rocket ship. Send me something. I just didn't know what to do. And remarkably, what I was able to do is build community with these young people. First yes. and foremost, acknowledge who they were. Accept them and say, we're going to get through this collectively. And, you know, I believe that when kids are on your side and you're on their side, that, Ella, that not only raises the ceiling, 
but lifts the floor. So we're starting at a higher ground. Yes. And literally one day I'm sitting in class and I get this announcement over the, the you know, this 100-year-old speaker. Mr. Ritz, come to the principal's office, please. And the kid's are like, oh, man, Mr. Ritz, you got busted for being too nice. You know, this is it. You're in trouble now. And I go down to the principal's office and I'm, I'm marginally optimistic. You know, I didn't think I did anything bad. I'm thinking, what did I say today? Uh, who, who did I not look at on the way into the building? And I get in there and there's this big box on the principal's desk. And she's like, Mr. Ritz, you got this box. And I'm like, wow, the internet works. Thank you, Al Gore. This is Christmas in the Bronx in November. It actually is in October. And I'm so excited. I'm like, someone heard my plea. And I rip open this box like a kid on Christmas morning. I just couldn't wait to get in there right in front of the principal secretary. And I open up this box, and there are these little things inside that look like onions. And I'm like, WTF, and in case your listeners don't know, WTF does not stand for, wow, that's fantastic. I was like, WTF, what is this? And it turned out I had no idea what they were. Um, so I was just like, this is the worst. This is a joke. Someone, you know, they're giving me these things. They're onions. The kids are going to throw them at me. I walk out of the principal's office with my head between my legs, like the most dejected dog in the world. I walk back into my classroom on my prep period. I take this box. I throw it behind a big radiator behind the window and literally forgot about it. Fast forward about eight weeks later, there is a fight in class and there are some kids who are really tough. And this skinny little kid makes a joke about a girl's mother and hits her smack on in the face with a joke about her mother. The class is rolling. The class. Is, and I'm like, wow, this is bad. And the girl gets up, and she's coming out of the seat, and she's ready to knock. And I'm like, my career is over in slow motion. And I'm running across the room just to put my body in between these two kids. All of a sudden, the skinny little boy reaches under the radiator and pulls up a handful of flowers and starts waving it in this girl's face. And again, a WTF moment. And everybody in the class starts laughing. The girl is totally diffused, and no one knew where these flowers came from. And literally, that to me is a, you know, that's a teachable moment. Where'd they come from? You know, I'm just relieved no one got hurt. So we open up the box and it turns out that these things called onions were really bulbs, daffodil bulbs. And they were sent to me by New Yorkers for parks, inviting me and my students to come down and plant them in the very park that I used to date my wife and meet my wife in, you know, to smooch on the, stuff, on, on the bench with. Um, so my students and I, we got very excited about planting these bulbs. Turns out these young men and young men and women and I wound up going on to plant 25,000 daffodil bulbs across New York City mm. that year to commemorate 9-11. We were invited, believe it or not, to city council because they thought we were the honors committee. Um, and those young people actually went on to work with our dear colleague, Majora Carter, and put in the first green roof in all of New York City and of all places, Hunts Point, and went on to become the foundation of sustainable South Bronx. But most importantly, those 17 young men and women, 100% of them graduated high school. And to this day, they are productive. And I'm still engaged and in touch with many of them, productive working people in and of this community who didn't have to leave, um, who instead are helping to uplift where we live at Ground Zero. Kids don't care what they know unless they know you care. How much you care, exactly. And uh, that teachable moment you talked about, as I said, when I read that, it struck me because all great teachers, Stephen, you know this, all take great teachers use moments like that to sort of 
diffuse situations or engage students. But you continued with that and this whole idea of really understanding the link between nature and nutrition and what's going on in many of these kids' worlds. Because many of these kids don't even, they haven't been uh, sort of socialized to stop and think about how this all relates. You figured out that this is a great way to keep kids engaged, but also develop something new in their thought process in terms of where they rank and where they where they stand in our world. Well, look, I always believe, you know, I am always in production mode. I am never in boss mode. I am always a learner. And when we got started, let me be clear, I knew nothing about plants, you know. Uh, you know, the four food groups to me were the clown, the king, the colonel, and Mrs. Freshly. Um, <laughs> let me, you know, and a 44-ounce and a soda. So it was my own um, odyssey through health and wellness that got me here. But, you know, when we started, we were simply doing ornamental plants. But the one mm. thing that we learned is that, you know, in my community, hunger, uh, and now more than ever, hunger is something that every child can relate to. Um, chronic disease, chronic disease, food shortages. These are things that in communities like mine, we know of daily. And when I learned that you could grow instead of plants, food, and that, you know, growing food is literally a license to print money. Wow, that was game changing. And again, while I'm very much involved in the nonprofit sector, I believe that you can't nonprofit yourself to prosperity. And that right. was part, we could talk about that separately, but it was really whole foods that took our kids and, you know, let me bring 17 gang members into a Whole Foods and the first one in Manhattan on the Upper, upper West Side. And literally security had a heart attack when we showed up. Um, you know, they weren't used to seeing kids like us and kids like, that looked like mine and they were very well behaved and wonderful. But that's when we realized, wow, you know, a lot of what these kids were going to jail for were other plant-based products in much smaller bags with not nearly the margin. And when Whole Foods yeah. gave us the opportunity to sell food, that's when we realized we were growing something greater. And then we started learning about urban ag. So we kind of went from ornamental plants and environmental remediation to growing food. And then as I got to know these young people and work with them over years and get them jobs, you know, my own biology caught up with me. I was working like a madman, but mm. I was eating what was in the community. And I went from 200 pounds to 330. I became a diabetic. You know, I mean, I was the big cheese, literally, you know, with two slices of pizza and a 44 ounce soda in my hand every day. And it, and it took me passing out in front of school, 80 milligrams of Lipitor, an emergency room visit where I woke up clutching my Blackberry and my daughter found me in front of her in school and snuck me out the back door because she was afraid a principal would get annoyed at me for getting sick on the job uh, to really kind of have this health revolution. But, you know, when you sit with kids and you ask them, you know, basically food is the language that we all speak. So with gang That's kids, right. the one thing that I like to do is, listen, we're not going to accuse each other of anything. We're going to sit and talk this through. Let's have a slice of pizza. Let's have this. And, and that's how it became the big cheese. But kids really understand hunger. Um, we have celebritized and, and you know, um, honorized food in ways in communities like mine that are really marginalized. Their health. And kids are getting sicker. They're getting fatter. You know, the primary yeah. source, it, it's just absurd what's going on. And I haven't met too many young people that really want to aspire to work behind the bulletproof window at McDonald's. Um, yeah. But yet everybody wants that 99-cent meal. So for us, there were so many pieces to it. And let me be clear. You know, the most important school supply in the world is food.
because food justice is racial justice, and who has access to what, where, when, and how determines everything. And we are, by design or default, feeding a disease-based health crisis that is absurd. And then the flip side is, Children will never be well-read if they're not well-fed, particularly elementary school kids. I'm in a largely immigrant community right now. And to think that parents are paying 3 or $4 for a little six-ounce container of Red Bull because it's marketed to them so with such sophistication that they think they're doing their young kids a favor is absurd. So reestablishing the connection with healthy food and healthy nutrition, you can't, you can't perform in school if you're poorly nourished or malnourished or hopped up on sugar. So for me, integrating food into school is perhaps the most humane, just, and planet-forward solution that we can come up with. And here in the South Bronx, I'm growing the next generation of plant-forward students and environmental and social justice advocates. You know, when we opened up the new Wendy's here, the kids were very upset. It was like the Taj Mahal of Wendy's, you know, red, playground, <laughs> and lights, and our students read my little fourth graders, that Wendy's refused to pay one penny more per pound for tomatoes. And they were really upset because those kids grow tomatoes in this classroom and they know how hard it is. So I'm like, what are you going to do about it? You decided to boycott Wendy's. You know, and every time I'm keeping a burger out of their belly and replacing it with a banana or a locally grown piece of produce or something from the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program right here in New York State, I'm saving their bellies. I'm saving their heart. I'm saving the planet. I'm really doing progressive stuff in a... It's it's really about growing justice here um, because there is no justice, just us. Yeah, and I tell you what, that that's all good stuff. And and your creative, innovative, unique approaches uh, continue to grow. Talk about the edible classroom, another cool concept. Yeah. Um, you know, we gave birth remarkably to the first Green Bronx machine, and right at the turn of the millennium gave birth to the first edible classroom in the entire United States. Imagine a classroom that was able to feed 450 kids at once in a school, which, you know, propelled us to fame. We actually put a, a replica of our classroom in the NBC Universal store. We were featured on NBC. But, you know, fast forward, making it scalable and replicable through the use of tower garden technology. Look, I go from a box to a garden. In 45 minutes if you're a man, in 15 minutes if you're a woman, because you'll read the directions and watch the video. <laughs> but every single thing I've been able to do here has not required a building permit, no construction. <laughs> the only thing I've had is a parking permit and a good key to a classroom. That's the kind of scalable innovation that we need. Um, and it puts it right in front of kids. And that's the most important thing. It makes it easy for teachers. It's just the art and science of growing vegetables aligned to everything we need to do in school. But when you put a seed in a child's hand, whether it's a big kid or a little kid, and I have veterans farms, I have disconnected youth farms, we have the first commercial greenhouse in America run by foster care youth. When you put a seed in a child's hand, you're making them a promise. And that seed, just like them, is going to grow into something great with a little love, a little care, and a little commitment. And on the entrepreneurial side, let me be clear, Kevin, you know, if I give you a penny and tell you that penny is going to be worth a $5 bill in 30 days if you show up and take good care of it, wow, that goes to scale with some of my entrepreneurial kids really well. And of course, I want to take a moment to shout out my dear friends at Gotham Greens for giving me the capacity to think about this today. Gotham Greens is leading the nation in, you know, adaptive reuse of unusable space, roofs and brownfields to grow food using 90% less water, hyper-local, hyper-nutritious. They've hired my students. 
Whole kids has hired my students. I, I really want to applaud them because that's a mindset where together we can all prosper. Don't talk to me about education if you're not talking to me about opportunity. And the green space, the save our planet space, and the forward thinking space of casual food and hospitality has the ability to embrace our young people and usually the most disconnected young people in the most meaningful, quintuple bottom lines way. People, planet, progress, profit, and purpose. And that's what this work is all about. You know, what's interesting, Stephen, I've visited, you know, hundreds and hundreds of schools around the world. And I've often been surprised that, you know, there are a good number of schools that are taking similar approaches as you are. And when I talk to superintendents and school leaders, one of the barriers they have is sort of this locked in mindset around what's what food at school is supposed to look like. And and this this sort of dovetails into the politics. Um, talk about the school lunch program, because for many kids, the best meal, frankly, sometimes the only meal they get will be that school lunch meal. And I've seen and, and witnessed horror stories where the food is moldy. Some of the school lunch providers, they really aren't providing nutritious meals. You know, so a couple questions. One, how can we change that? And two, how can we make sure that there's universality when it comes to the food that children receive in school? Because many of them are really relying on this. Well, to your point, first and foremost, many children, including mine here in school, rely on public school for their primary source of healthy nutrition. Yes. Um, I want to be very clear to shout out our mayor, Merrick Eric Adams, and also you know, our chancellor, David Banks, who have put food literally on the education menu. We just yes. debuted, well, they just debuted the first food education roadmap in the nation that really highlights the value of food and education, educating children about food to make healthy food choices. So this is the perfect intersectionality, if you will. Listen, so much of our health care crisis is directly related to food. Yes. So when kids understand what food is, where it comes from, how to grow it, and then you engage them with it at a young age, you know, I'm building ambassadors, I'm, I, which is great. Listen, I could stand on the front line of the school cafeteria and tell the kids, hey, would you like to try quinoa? And they look at me like, Mr. Ritz, you're nuts. But when I have my little second and third graders down there talking about it and sharing some of the things they've grown in the classroom and putting it on the line, say, would you like to try this today? Guess what? They get excited. And, you know, I've got kids coming to school dressed as carrots and peas, and we're spreading hummus and goodness across the food, across the neighborhood. You know, I always say, let good food be hood food and hood food be good food. And then when you make it culturally relevant, OMG, you know, I've got grandparents coming in. This has been a revolution for us. So I want to shout out again, Mayor Adams, Chancellor David C. Banks, and also our good friends at Google. Because when you look at how you can use information and access to have the first choice be the healthiest choice and make that not such good choice two or three steps down the line simply by designing it, wow. But let me be clear. We need to support kids and we need to support local food and healthy food in school. It's the most important thing we can do is to nourish our young people's minds and bodies. And now more than ever, look, kids, we just came through COVID. Kids have eaten so much processed food 
And if you've been in the education world as long as I have, you're seeing kids go through puberty at younger and younger ages. I'm in my fourth decade of public school access. And listen, we always had some kids, even when I was in high school, who developed earlier. But we're seeing puberty in second and third grade. And that's largely due to food. Too much yeah. sugar, too much hormones, too much environmental stress. The science of food is evolving faster than our bodies can accept it. And it really takes a toll on these young kids. And that's childhood lost. That's death and disease by diet. And as Mayor Adams likes to say, you know, it is no longer birthplace. It's breakfast. It's no longer lineage. It is lunch. And it is no longer DNA. It is dinner. And food unlocks all of that genetic messaging inside of our bodies. So we want to fuel our bodies for success instead of disease and, and, and chronic disorder. Let me ask you about, you know, what a superintendent or a school leader, uh, a teacher, and this is what I really want to know. Many of them will listen to this program and they'll say, well, the bureaucracy, the leadership, this is hard, it sounds good. How would a, an enterprising uh, school teacher or school leader get started to change the dynamic of their neighborhood? What recommendations would you give them? That's a great question. I always say you don't have to be great to start but you have to start in order to be great. And no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So, you know, my commitment to the world was literally to come up with a curriculum that democratized information and access for teachers. And I started this program with 17 kids in one classroom. Today, we are touching 275,000 students and thousands of teachers around the world with the Green Bronx Machine curriculum. And this is, you know, Unlimited access, unlimited professional development, unlimited site license, no annual fees, no tiered, no tiered subscriptions. The kind of disruption that gives access and democracy in communities that need it most. So I'm, I'm super proud of the work. Uh, you know, the curriculum, it's right here. The State University of New York uses it to train teachers. And, you know, I got lucky. I was interested in food. I was interested in plants. And I just really took authentic project-based learning, put it in the heart of a classroom, and wrapped whole school performance and metrics around it. Mm. Today, our number one client are principals and superintendents from around the country who are looking for pedagogy and uh, who are looking for professional development, who are looking for support in data-driven instruction. You know, literally with Google, we've been able to bake metrics into the classroom so we can give you real-time feedback. I don't want to wait to the end of the year to tell you how kids are doing. I want that information aggregated in real time. And, you know, one of, you know, at least today, we are in a far better place with internet access than we were three or four years ago. We are working hard, I think, and I want to, again, congratulate mayors and superintendents for really working to democratize digital access. Um, the response to the tragic pandemic was nothing less than heroic in terms of really moving children and communities like mine into the 21st century. So I'm excited about that. Well, Stephen Ritz, let me tell you something. You're doing amazing work. Continue to do the work. For those that are listening, the Green Bronx Machine, their curriculum is amazing. It's something that any school leader in the country should be able to use. And I want to thank you so much, not just for what you're doing, but more importantly right now for joining us on What I Want to Know. Now, and Kevin, I want to thank you. You know, we need more people like you and more people championing. Uh, I don't consider myself an underdog anymore. What I believe is that from our respective humble corners of the globe, we collectively have the capacity to change the world. 
So here, thank here. you for uplifting the profession and thank you for uplifting my community. Um, you know, it's always easy to go to Harvard and the great schools, but, you know, not too many people want to come to the hood. But this is where it matters most. Well, the hood is the future. Thank you yep, for showcasing Absolutely. That. Now more than ever. We could have a whole separate conversation about that. But remember this. Each and every day, you vote with your fork, you vote with your mouth, you vote with your wallet. And the degree to which we resist any injustice is the degree to which we are all free, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education and write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis, Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.